You're listening to the Getting Swamped Podcast. Your number one podcast for Florida Gator football. Scared money don't make money. What's up, folks, and welcome to another episode of Getting Swapped. This is none other than your boy, David Soderquist. And on this episode, I have none other than the five-star nerd himself, Bill Sykes, to discuss the offensive line. And as I discussed last week, I said we have some elite talent at running back. And what is a running back's best friend? His offensive line. Got to create those holes and get separation there. But first and foremost, Bill, before we dig into offensive line here, I got to ask you, man, how does it feel to have an actual recruiting staff now? It feels better by the day, Dave, and uh, I'm, I'm really loving the updates that are coming in right now, and uh, I can't wait to see what they put together. Yeah, me neither, man. All 50 assistants, and actually they hired Jordan Harrell back here recently, back from uh, Creative Media, so at least we'll have some elite graphics and photography to look at here in the future, but going over some notes and nuggets here from your latest article from readandreaction.com entitled, Blocking Progress, Why Billy Napier Faces a 12-Year Offensive Line Problem at Florida, and Bill... Before we do that, tell the average viewer what this article basically entails. Well, you know, most of everyday Gator fans have known for quite a while that there's been a lingering offensive issue uh, with the Gator program, and it's it certainly hit some historic lows under Will Muschamp and um, under Jim McElwain, and things got briefly better when, when Mullen found a quarterback and was able to unleash some of his playbook uh, on the SEC, but even then – the office just hasn't been able to, to help the team get over the hump and perform at a um, championship level. Um, well, I guess that's not fair. I mean, Kyle Trask and, and Pitts and those guys, they were putting up points in, at Star Wars levels. Yeah. However, the one, the one Achilles heel they continued to have at times was the offensive line. Right. And uh, basically the way I, I've kind of interpreted what I've seen based on the numbers and, and what I know about the program is that um, it's, it's been the one constant – no matter what else has gone on, whether they have found Kyle Trask or whether they were dealing with uh, John Brantley, uh, the offensive line just wasn't doing anybody any favors for a long time. And so I decided to dig into the numbers to kind of explore and communicate to average fans what those problems stem from and, and why the offensive line was in the shape that it was. And so I went back through 12 years of uh, offensive line recruiting data and performance data and you name it. Uh, it's not just a, a stars based recruiting article. It kind of tells you, you know, that they, they weren't getting enough guys. They weren't getting the right guys. They weren't holding on to the guys. And, and that kind of created, um, you know, this highlight reel of um, bloopers we've seen over the past 12 years. Not that it's always been terrible, but you know, it's been pretty bad. Yeah. And no matter how bad it got, we always still managed to beat Tennessee somehow. So that's, that's all that matters there. But yeah, yeah I mean, hey, at the end of the show, remind me, I'll throw a good Tennessee stat at you. All right, there we go. I like to end the podcast on a good note. All right, yeah, yeah, but if you look back too, we've had a couple of actual decent years offensive line-wise. I guess 2018, the offensive line kind of gelled a little bit there in 2018, fell off really horribly bad in 2019. Um, but, you know, having a quarterback like Will Greer, some of those quarterbacks that can go through their reads really quick, get the ball out real quick, does help a struggling offensive line. You know, you had Kyle Trask in 2020 passing the ball like a madman, breaking all sorts of passing records there at Florida. And then, obviously, Will Greer, as I said, getting the football out there real quick, but minus some PEDs, he wasn't with us anymore. Gets stuck with Treon Harris and the offensive line folds. And uh, just offensively, it's just been horrendous here at the University of Florida until 
a little bit as of late with Dan Mullen being a good offensive guru, but he's not here anymore because of lack of recruiting, which is what we're talking about. But Bill, some notes I actually had from your article here, and these are some pretty, you know, eyesore notes here. UF and Vanderbilt are only the two SEC programs without an AP first team All-American offensive lineman. Since 2010, 20 offensive linemen left Florida prematurely for the either medical reasons, transferring, one quit, and the others didn't have the grades. A 46% attrition rate from 2010 to 2021. Now, Bill, you compared these to some recent teams who have been in the SEC championship. That shaped up pretty bad against these SEC teams, didn't it? It really did. I mean, you mentioned two things there. As far as the performance, I mean, Florida's offensive line has had its moments. But like you said uh, from an article, they're one of only two teams without a first-team AP All-SEC lineman since 2010, since the Urban Meyer days. Right. I mean, they're better known for blocking each other and, you know, <laughs> for the current right tackle, giving up monstrous sacks uh, yeah. at the wrong times and just haven't been able to become the strength of the team ever. Right. Uh, I think the, the the highlight of the last 10 or 12 years was they played pretty good in a loss against Alabama. And uh, that's just not going to cut it if Florida wants to get where they go. But, you, you know, you also mentioned the attrition. Uh, and you're right. They did have 46%, I believe it was in my article, uh, since 2010. That means that oh, they lost almost half of the offensive linemen they brought into the program before those guys were – uh, due to graduate or leave early for the NFL. And as a matter of fact, if you add the three guys who did leave early for the NFL, that rate goes up to 50%. And, and you just don't see that from teams that win championships. I mean, I, if for those who have read the article, they'll know that I compared Florida's numbers to every team that's won the conference since 10, 2010, and, and nobody had anywhere close to that. I mean, it's pretty much twice as much as all those other programs are experiencing. And it was just – it was just one of the problems that has plagued the position. Uh, and then when we say position, we really mean five positions. So it's almost a quarter of your starting 22. Right. So when, when you have a fourth of your starting lineup suffering, when you can't get the right guys, can't hold on to the guys, can't get enough guys. Well, why would we expect them to be able to win championships with that situation? Yeah, and if you look at it, the offensive line has had its great moments, but then it's had its far more bad moments, especially, like you said, on that right side. We all know about the Gene DeLance story and how that how that's went in that whole experiment. Um, having dual-threat quarterbacks did help us in you know, 2018, 2021, obviously Florida being the top 25 nationally in rushing. 2018, you had Felipe Franks, who was a, a you know kind of a dual-threat there. Maybe not the best quarterback, but was able to run, knock people over, being in that 245-pound frame. But going away, I guess, from the bad news here from the article, Florida has some guys coming in for the recruiting cycle. Cameron Waits, a six foot eight, 350-pound guy, has yet to step on a college field. And uh, Osiris Torres, which will help kind of bolster the deficiencies on the offensive line. I mean, they're both rated in that .9 range, .9091. You know, you got Jalen Farmer coming in at .87, David Connor rated .85, Christian Williams rated .84. So when it comes to high school recruiting, you're still in that non-elite range. But, you know, also in a transition class, so it's understandable. You know, there were really no good offensive linemen left when Billy Napier, you know, stepped on campus and most, you know, early signing day, most players are already signed. So what should Florida's ideal situation be recruiting-wise for this season and the seasons in the future? I mean, you obviously you, you want to get the best kids that you can. You want to get all the elites and all the best kids that you can. But what would be ideal for Florida, at least this year? Well, it's not just about stars. And everybody that follows my work knows that I'm a, a big proponent of the star rating system and as, as far as its importance and engaging recruiting success. 
but it starts with the numbers. Uh, Florida has missed its target number of offensive linemen, which is around four uh, from year to year in most years, give or take one for, uh, you know, like NFL attrition and things like that. But uh, we need to see them land an adequate number there. That's the first and foremost thing. I'd like to see them land five plus, even though you generally want to see your program take four in a given year. Uh, Napier, I believe, signed seven in his bunk class in 2019 at ULL. It wouldn't shock me if he signed anywhere from five to seven. Now, transfers will play a part in that. Uh, as we've seen, he's already active on the transfer market. Uh, but we need to see the headcount boosted substantially because there's going to be turnover, as there always is with a new, new regime. Uh, but and once you get the, the correct number of guys, we we'll also need to look at that and see that they're getting guys they can hang on to. Uh, in my mind, that means you at least want to land some of them from friendly areas. And while we want to get top recruits, we got to get make sure we're not signing a bunch of West Coasters that are a much higher transfer risk because the, the attrition has to stop. It's something that continued all the way through the Mullen era. Uh, I believe Mullen had an attrition rate that was over 35% or around 35% with his offensive line. And that's just that just can't continue if they're going to build a team, uh, especially one like Napier wants to build it arguably is going to be built around his offensive line. It might be the most important yeah. position on the team uh, with his offense. Uh, but the last thing, obviously, the, the elephant in the room is we do need to see higher rated recruits come in. Uh, one of the things I mentioned in my article is that even if you just, even if you're a conspiracy theorist, uh, you know, a star truther that says, oh, those are rigged and, you know, it's all about the Bama bump and we, we can't trust star ratings. Well, the fact of the matter is that when you compare offensive line prospects since 2010 at University of Florida and divide them by those who ranked top 10 at their position and those who didn't, those who ranked top 10 gave Florida three times as many starts that became uh, full season starters three times as often. So they're just, they just produce better. And it's just, you got to get over that. It just matters. <laughs> you right. know? And, yeah. and uh, so anyway, and I think I was talking to you before the show about this is that while Florida hasn't had a first team AP all SEC linemen since 2010. Uh, they did have Martez Ivy, who made it second team uh, all SEC three times, and he was a five star. You know, so yeah. you, you're, even your bright spots are coming from guys like that, and, and at least most of the time, uh, there are a few low rated exceptions. Uh, but the Jawan Taylors of the world are just too few and too far between. Uh, in both Florida's history and nationally, to be able to count on them, uh, so it, you know we really need to see them land probably multiple top 10 offensive line type guys um, in nearby states that, you know, they have a reasonable chance to hold on to. Uh, we do have a few talented prospects in the state of Florida in friendly areas. You've got Peyton Kirkland in Orlando, which is kind of a 50, 50 area for Florida uh, in the long term history. You got Lucas Simmons and Clay Whedon who are four stars, I believe from uh, the Tampa area. And you got Roderick Kearney right here in Clay County, North Park. So I'd like to see them, you know, at least take one of those guys, unless they're just landing, such big fish that, you know, they're putting them together all-star cast there. Right. Yeah, especially in the state of Florida, man. Got to get better at the recruiting there. And, and you know, we're talking about transfers here. You, you ideally want to get the kids from high school. You get to hold on to them longer. And, and obviously, you know, you don't know what you're going to get from them. It's good to get somebody from the transfer portal because they're already developed. They've already played games like Osiris Torts has. Really exceptional stats over there at Louisiana Lafayette. I believe it was like 2,700 34 snaps, gave up zero sacks, and only 16 quarterback hurries. <laughs> it's really good. I mean, it, it, I don't care what yeah. conference you're in. If you're in Sunbelt, that's really good stats to have as an offensive lineman. 
Um, but you really, you really want to get the kids from high school because Osiris Torrance, if he has another good year, he's gone. Even if 2020 didn't count, he's gone. He's going to the NFL. So you really want to get the kids from high school, get them developed kind of past their freshman year. And then you can start building, you know, that pipeline of, of offensive linemen. So you're consistently getting them in at an elite level and you don't ever have to worry about attrition. And if you do have attrition, you have elite kids to replace those people over there as well. So do you think Florida's offensive line from 2021, where they're ranked, actually, they were ranked 25 nationally in rushing. Do you think they take a step forward in 2022? Uh, no, I, I don't see it. I think this is going to be a transition year. I might be wrong. I'm just saying that I'm not betting on it. I think there's still a lot of youth on that team. They're still too thin. There's been too much attrition. They do have some good pieces. Uh, Ethan White has shown some uh, potential. Uh, Garage should be an anchor for them, hopefully at left tackle. Um, Eagleton uh, is, should be very steady at the center. So, But when you get behind beyond those, uh, those guys, who else is there? I mean, right. we just don't have a lot of proven pieces there to fill out a starting five, let alone the eight you need to be able to rotate with depth and hope they stay injury free. So could it happen? Yes, they could take a step forward. I just think this is going to be a little bit of a, a multi-year project to rebuild this position. It's one where they red shirt most often uh, compared to other positions. Uh, as far as those who go on to all conference level success, they typically peak out uh, years three to five. So I just, I think that there's a chance that the starting five is good, especially with the insertion of Torrance on the, the right side there. He should be an upgrade, at least I'm hoping. Um, But I think we're probably looking the same or mildly better, and then you kind of have to factor in the new system and things like that. So I'm going to say probably we'll take a year before we really start to see the fruits of that, but it's it's always possible. Right, absolutely. I completely agree. I, I would not expect them. To be, I mean, rank 20, top 20 is is really hard to do anyway nationally, especially in the SEC. <laughs> I don't see them repeating that. Let's hope they do. But I, I honestly, I, I don't think it's going to get really bad, but I don't think it's going to be to where you're not hitting. I, I think it's just, you're not going to hit that top 20. I, I wouldn't think so this year. You're but, saying top 20 in, in, in uh, the line ranking like football outsiders? Uh, no, just rushing. Just rushing in general. Oh, and rushing? I mean, they have the, they have the elite running backs. They have the running backs to do it. Um, they have a dual-threat quarterback, Anthony Richardson, if he starts. Um, we'll see if he starts or not. So, you know, it, it, that's really hard to repeat, being in the top 20 nationally, especially playing in the SEC, especially with the schedule coming up. You know, you got A&M, LSU, Alabama, Georgia, you know, teams with elite talent. Um, you know, I, I would think so. I don't know. I don't know. Well, you- I think that's going to depend a lot on Richardson, and it's going to depend on this receiving cast to – who have provided very little answer so far right. because we know that Napier wants to run the ball 55% of the time. We know he's been very good at it. We know that he's, you know, it's, it's not a, um, from what I've read, no one seems to regard his offense as, as groundbreaking or anything like that, but it is effective and hard to defend. And um, it's supposed to be very good on the ground. Uh, but we have to see them pass the ball vertically enough to keep defenses honest. Right. Because if, if if Richardson is not the guy and the receivers can't step up to the plate and help him be the guy, then you're going to see a lot of eight and nine-man fronts, right. eight and nine-man uh, boxes anyway. And it's going to be very hard to to find traction on the ground. 
Right. Kind of like we saw last year with them loading the box because we <laughs> they knew Emory Jones was going to throw the ball that much. So, I mean, you're, you're kind of loading the box at that point. But, I mean, I, it's, I just think it's too hard to repeat that every year being top 20 nationally in the SEC with, with the schedule that Florida's got coming up. And like you said, the, the only proven experienced receiver you got coming back is Justin Shorter. Who else do you have? I mean, you know, Jacob Copeland is going to Maryland. You have Xavier Henderson, who's had some time in the system, but very few receptions and hasn't really shown a keen ability to get open. Whittemore's had his moments, but you really haven't seen a big breakout wide receiver. But if Anthony Richardson, like you said, is the quarterback that we think he can be, then you could possibly probably get in there. I don't think it's going to be so bad to where they don't maybe hit the top 50. Uh, top 20, I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, crunching numbers. Yeah, top 20 is high, man. The more I think about kind of in the context of that, I, I just – I would be shocked if, if they were to come up that high and have that kind of a breakthrough year under Napier. I just don't – I don't even see him as a guy who is that big of a plus – schematically on the offense. I don't anticipate this being the kind of um, coaching situation where he's going to come out kind of like Dan Mullen do, does and add secret sauce to the offense. Right. I think if, if Napier wins, it's going to either be a, a long-term, like year four to five breakthrough because of his recruiting and the turnaround he brings there. Right. Or in the short term, if he just finds like lightning in a bottle through the transfer portal. I just don't I don't see him taking this offense to those kind of heights that soon with the personnel they currently have. Yeah, correct. I, I kind of agree there a little bit. And like I said, you never know. You never know. Hey, I'd love to be wrong. And right. I will freely own it if I am. Exactly. And uh, crunching the numbers, Florida actually places seventh in offensive line talent by average player ranking between transfers and high school kids over the last four years, including this year. It is surprising, though, because I figured they'd be in the bottom half of the SEC, but they're right there, right there in the middle. Uh, but uh, where would Florida need to be ranked between the 14 teams in the SEC to be able to get the push that they want in the future? Between all four 14 SEC teams, offensive line, average player ranking, where would they need to be amongst that? Top five, maybe the top three? Well, I mean, I think that the – the easy way to, to answer that question when you, when you say to get where they want to be, if we're talking about a championship lineup, I mean, um, Alabama in 2021 started guys that um, there wasn't a three-star in the lineup. Uh, yeah. And not only that of the, those who started all but one player were ranked in 187 or higher nationally, right. you know, and they had a, a five-star left tackle and Evan Neal as per usual. Um, so I, they've got to get a lot better uh, to be where they want to be in recruiting unless, unless Napier is going to prove that he can do it with less. Now you can, you can, like if you go back to like 2019 with LSU I, and then let me back that up because I'm not suggesting that you have to have elite recruits all the way across your offensive line. LSU had a couple of three stars, I think three starters. Uh, now they also had some very, very highly rated tackles. Uh, in Sadiq Charles and Austin Deculus. Um, Deculus was the top 50 national prospect, and Sadiq Charles was a four-star. You, you're almost always going to have at least a few of those guys in your lineup. Um, but, again, it's it's not just about that rank. you got to have depth. you got to have better quality recruits. Uh, the one thing you don't see year after year from these programs that are winning the SEC is signing almost exclusively, or at least half the prospects being – sub 500 national offensive line prospects. It's just got it. The quality has got to improve and they do need some of those 
Evan Neal type um, home run recruits in the lineup because those guys are on almost every championship lineup. Yeah, pretty much. And LSU actually ranks third from uh, average recruiting ranking offensive line from 2019 to 2022 with an average player ranking on the offensive lineman of 91.19. So are you really, it looks like to me to have a offensive line that can compete, you at least have to have them, I would say, probably ranked averagely around like 90 and above to compete with probably every other team in the SEC. I mean, that's a little bit safe to say we're right, uh, you know, we're at seventh, 88.27. I got the graph listed on gettingswamped.com. But you talking about the, the 24-7 prospect rating? Yeah, 24-7 prospect rating. Yeah, when when you look back across the starting lineups of SEC champions all the way back, um, at least back to 2006, I mean, in recent years, LSU's 2019 team, they were the only uh, champion in a while that was under that 0.90 or that 90 rating, where they had a rating average starting rating of uh, 8955. Oh. Uh, but everybody else is way up there. I mean, Alabama in 2020, their offensive line – um, if you average their national ranking as pros- prospects, they were 66. Like, so their, their average starter was a top 75 prospect. That's great. You know, and it was even higher in 2018 where it was a top 50 prospect, you know, and I didn't even include Georgia in this list, and their, theirs was absurd. I mean, yeah. Georgia's lineup was kind of like Alabama's has been. They've just – it's just been star-studded. So can, can you win a, a one-off championship – uh, with a little bit of lower rating uh, and just improve from where Florida's at now. Sure, if if you've got Joe Burrow, you know, yeah. but that goes back to what we always say, man. It's like, can there be an exception to the rule? Yeah, yeah. if you've got the quarterback, but even then, LSU still had the talent around them and had the top five class that everybody else has, so. Right, and, and you're hoping you get that quarterback out of Anthony Richardson because, I, I mean, go back and look at the LSU game, man. That, that guy's throwing missiles. He's getting it out quick. It, you hope that Anthony Richardson will be that type of quarterback, but he really hasn't that much experience. So I would say going into this season, you're probably you might struggle a little bit with that. But also, you don't have Damian Pierce running the ball, but he only got seven carries a game. And I'm not even going to get into that. But <laughs> you know, you do have a lot of elite talent at running back. Bo, you know, Bowman, Lingard, a lot of those guys. Not one prospect in the running back stable was ranked below a point nine zero out of Naquan Wright. Uh, Trevor Etienne, Lingard, DeMarcus Bowen, all those guys. So you got really elite depth at the running back spot there. So I guess that kind of helps a little bit, but you got to create them holes. And, and and if you can scheme your way around creating holes for those running backs, then we could possibly see something really, really, probably really good this year. Okay, Bill, prediction time, man. Here we go. It's the year 2025. How many first-team All-SEC offensive linemen does Florida have between now and then? So we're talking about four years. Um, I'm going to say that by four years, we're looking at multiple starters uh, winning LSC awards under Napier. I think win, lose, or draw with this team, I think we're going to see some juice in this class. I think he's going to fix this offensive line position in a way that it hasn't been in a long time. Right. Um, I'll say we have four over the next four years. It probably takes, you know, a year to get going or so, and then – once he's in year four, I think we can count on multiple starters winning the award. I think it'll become a signature of his program, and that's what you typically need to put yourself in position to win the SEC. Uh, but we're going to know pretty quick. Uh, we, we're going to know 
I think Rob Sale's a great coach, and I think he'll make an impact, and I think he'll do a good job. But we're going to know very quickly uh, once this 2023 class comes together what we're looking at with the trajectory uh, for Napier's tenure, and I think that's specific to the offensive line as well. Yeah, and, and I even said, I think um, Gator Dave, he released a podcast that said, would you be okay with 9-3 and three, considering the schedule? And I'm really honestly, you know, I'm, on, I'm an 8-4 and four kind of guy right now, but – if that recruiting class is looking pretty elite, then I'm pretty happy with with whatever record that we have, especially if we beat Georgia, because that's 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 a team I really want to beat. I don't care if they're over 12. <laughs> right, show me a top five class. Yeah, this is something people have got to understand, and you will hear me go bananas if they roll in with a number 12 recruiting class this year. I will be very upset. Okay, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but what I won't do is pick them apart for first year on field struggles with a team that hasn't been recruited for four years. Right. Correct. I, and I'm being hyperbolic, obviously, but yeah. um, it, championships are won three to four years in advance. Yep. And, and I think it's time for college football fans to understand that. I, what was that stat the guy threw up on, on Twitter a couple of weeks ago that like 18 of the last 21 number one recruiting classes have gone on to win a title in three to four years. Oh, I can't remember who. Yeah, the only exceptions, I think, were USC back in like the, I don't think it was Pete Carroll days, but it was, whatever that was, 2004 and 5, and then Florida in 2010. Everybody else has got it done, and it takes a special set of circumstances to blow that. Championships are won three to four years in advance. And so I could care less. If they come out, I'm being dead serious. They come out with a losing record this year, but they roll in with a number three recruiting class and a big-time quarterback, and the offensive line is loaded up and they got some offensive skill position recruits that finally look like Florida's caliber, I'm going to be pumped. Yeah, I will. I will not care at all what they do on the field. Yeah, the key for that is hope for the future. As long as I can see hope for the future, I really don't care what the record looks like. Of course, I want to beat Georgia because I live in Georgia. I I, I don't really like Georgia fans down here. Definitely. Yeah, definitely got to beat them. Um, Does Florida rank in the top 25 nationally in not giving up sacks per game or top 25 again in rushing in the next three to four years? I think that's, yeah, I think that's certainly possible, uh, especially because a lot, I think a lot of their passes are going to be coming off play action and things like that. And they won't exactly be telegraphed. I think, you know, Richardson's mobility will help that. Now they're going to probably take a, a dip in Sacre. They were in the top 10 nationally this year. I think top five, I quoted in the article. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of that was due to uh, Emory Jones and Dan Mullen. Right. Uh, the, the way the offense was designed, the, the threat of a mobile quarterback, uh, and his play calling. I mean, you know, give give Mullen his due. The guy was going to be able to take advantage of mobile quarterbacks and and put them in his position to succeed to the best of their abilities. Unfortunately, there's been a pretty low ceiling to what he's been able to recruit talent-wise, and he had to work extra hard to get that done. So. Uh, I, I think they're going to struggle a little bit in that regard this year as they transition to a new offense. I just think there's no way they're top 10 in sack rate this year, in my mind. If they are, then that's amazing. I, I think Sale will get the best out of them, but it would just, it would just surprise me. Right. You know, you got, you got promising offensive line talent, like you said, for Ethan White. Kings League walking actually had the best stats at all the offensive linemen, which I'll get in later on in the podcast. But, you know, you've, you've got potential on the offensive line there. It's just can they put it together? Do they have enough, you know, as you know, experience. Can, can you put the people in the right spots to 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 get something going? And we'll see. Yeah, and Josh Braun's another who could step up, or you could see like a Murga Bill or somebody. You know, there is some talent there, but it just is there championship talent there? You're gonna have to show me. Right, exactly. Uh, last one for you, man. Richie Garage, 
highest rated offensive player still left on the roster, considering his high school ranking. Does he have a breakout year? And does Florida send its first or second round draft pick offensive lineman to the NFL? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I don't see Garage as a, a gosh. I feel like I'm gonna make a bad call here, but I don't see him as a big time tackle in the NFL. I don't know why I feel like he might slide inside and do okay and stick around there. I think he's going to get drafted. Uh, how high? I don't know. Uh, that's kind of not my wheelhouse, but I would, I think he's going to have a solid season. If he can stay healthy, I mean, he's going to come out with some, he's going to be as salty in seasons as a get for the SEC. And um, I think if he can make the move inside, then he might be able to hang around. All right. Bill, really good article you got here on uh, readingreaction.com. Blocking progress. Why Billy Napier faces a 12-year offensive line problem at Florida. And you guys broke it down really well there on Gators Breakdown. It, it, it's a really, I, I will say this, get fans, it's a really long article. So save your time to read it. But please read it all the way through. Really interesting uh, information and stats. And there's some eye-opening <laughs> stats as well. But also, you know... When you read the article, and I guess a lot of the the Gator fans got a notion of, oh well, he's you know maybe he's being a little negative. If you go down to the bottom of the article, he gives reasons to where Florida can get better and, and how the future looks better for Napier and staff. So it's not really a completely one hundred percent negative article. It might be an eyesore to read, but you know the future is bright at the University of Florida. Wouldn't you say that, Bill? Oh, I, I think it definitely is. I think that uh, Billy Napier thus far has done. Dunn said all the right things to make me believe that he at least understands what the problems are. I, I don't think Mullen ever did. And I saw that very early and that's, and I, that's why I called it out so early. Uh, but I'm not hearing any of the things I was hearing at this point in the Mullen era. And so while I think it's still long odds that he's going to turn it around, like it is for every coach at every school, it, the process looks good. So now we just have to hold on and see if he can, can hang on long enough to get it turned around because this is going to be a tightrope walk. It's going to take time to undo such negligent recruiting. And that's not fixed overnight, even with the transfer portal. So I'm, I'm really hoping we see a dangerous young team in years two and three, and then four, we have a breakout. So, and at that point, if he's recruiting, like I think he can, even if he is just 10 and two and not quite over the hump, maybe he gets year five and comes back and gets it done, but got a long way to go. Let's see how this signing day shapes up. Yeah, we don't have somebody telling us they're going to, you know, play dog at quarterback or anything like that. He's actually just a, a straightforward guy is what we really needed at the university for, and that is Billy Napier. So, Bill, before you leave and before I say goodbye to you, you know you're going to be fishing tomorrow because I know it's one of your off days. Uh, do, you, do we see a big bass in the future, a uh, big bass future pick? Man, I was really hoping to, uh, but the weather set in and it's been pouring down rain and it's been freezing by our standards here down in the 60s and 50s. <laughs> and and uh, so I got a port butt on the smoker. I'm about to go check right now when I when I uh, get off of you and make sure it's doing okay and, and soaking up all the, the wafting, you know, smoke <laughs> from the hickory wood. And, and I'll have to, you know, kind of tend to that tonight. And then uh, who knows? We'll see what I can get into tomorrow. <laughs> All right, Bill. Thank you for joining me. Well, I'm getting hang, hang on now. We got oh, one more thing. Remember, I told you I would give you a stat. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. You got to tell me that Tennessee joke, too. Yeah, well, it's not a – well, I guess Tennessee is the joke in this case. But, <laughs> you know, I was kind of uh, doing some digging for some stuff I'm working on, and I noticed that Billy Napier had uh, six NFL draft picks that he produced during his time at ULL. Tennessee produced seven. 
So he was one shy of Tennessee with some belt level recruiting. I thought that was pretty impressive and pretty embarrassing if you're Tennessee. Yeah. Well, the Tennessee is always the butt of every joke. And if you're not Tennessee, then then you're you're actually probably doing life right right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we think we got problems. Brick by brick, Bill. Brick by brick. That's right. <laughs> All right, Bill. Our hearts. <laughs> Thank you for joining me again, Swamp Bill. No problem, buddy. Have a good night. Need a sign for your company, your man cave, your live stream or podcast? Give my guy Brandon White a shout out at White & Sons Wood Carving. He has the best handcrafted signs nationally, all custom fit for your needs. With state-of-the-art paint and epoxy, you can have that glow of your sign too with some custom LEDs as a package as well. Give him a shout out on Twitter at WS Wood Carving. You can also follow him on Twitch and check out his Facebook page at White & Sons Wood Carving. Top of the line signs made from scratch. You're listening to the Getting Swamped Podcast with your host, David Soderquist, your number one source for all things college football and Florida Gators. All right, Bill Sykes, the five-star nerd there. Really good article he had there on readandreaction.com. And if you want to get a full breakdown of that article, and I know we didn't really break it down here uh, we really, I kind of wanted just to ask him about the future for the offensive line here. But if you really want a good breakdown of that article, go to Gators Breakdown on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. And it's about, I would say, about a month ago, Bill Sykes was on. You just go look for Bill Sykes's last, you know, Gators Breakdown that he was on, and you can get a full breakdown of that article. Really, really, it just eye-opening stats and, and, and just information. But, you know, like he said, the future is bright here at the University of Florida. And I did some research on offensive line recruiting by average player ranking from the transfer portal and high school. I totaled up from 2019 to 2022, the last four years, because most kids last four years in college. Then they go to the NFL or they graduate college. So I looked at the SEC rankings for offensive line in Florida actually they were dead in the middle at seventh with offensive line recruiting talent by average player ranking with an 88.27 average player ranking by offensive line. If you go to getinswamp.com, I post all these stats in the blog section there for you folks to look at if you would like to. And, uh, you know, it, it surprised me because I thought we would be in the lower echelon of the SEC, but we're right there in the middle. So it's actually not as bad if you go by average player ranking. But it, it's it's still not at the elite level that you want. You want to be in that 90s range somewhere, 91, 92. You're really getting those good offensive linemen in there. Uh, but, you know, Florida last year, they gave up a total of eight sacks and 68 total quarterback hurries. In the last four years, they've averaged giving up 12.5 sacks per season and 67.5 total quarterback hurries per season. Florida's best pass blocker last year, and he actually played a decent amount of snaps, that played at least over 200 snaps was Ethan White. In 226 total snaps, he would give up zero sacks and only six quarterback hurries. Really good there for Ethan White, especially getting his start there. Kingsley Iguakin, and if I if I said your name wrong, Kingsley, pretty bad at that anyway. I'm the butcher of names, but he would be Florida's best overall offensive lineman, giving up zero sacks and only 11 quarterback hurries in 454 total snaps. Really, really good stats there for Kingsley, especially a guy that wasn't highly touted, wasn't a highly touted recruit there. So really good stats there for Kingsley. Stuart Reese would also have a fantastic year in the lineup with 291 snaps, zero sacks given up, 
and six quarterback hurries as well. And that's a rundown of some of the just the best offensive linemen in the lineup from last year. Honorable mention, though, Joshua Braun, 331 total snaps, zero sacks, 15 quarterback hurries. As I said before, there, you know, there would be eight total sacks given up. Three by Michael Tarquin, three by Gene DeLance, and two by Richard Garage, which six were given up in drop back pass situations. So it's not counting a run play, it's drop back pass situations. Now, Florida over the past four years, they would give up a total of eight sacks in 2021, 12 sacks in 2020, 19 sacks in 2019, and 11 sacks in 2018. So, you know, 2019, Kyle Trask first year, not a dual threat quarterback. Uh, offensive line wasn't that great in 2019 either. We couldn't really run the ball that well. You know, you had that the Michael P. Ryan run against Auburn, but you didn't really have anything else there that you could really say, oh, man, we had an elite running game there, but... You know, Kyle Trask's first year wasn't the best as far as sack rate goes in 2019 anyway, but in 2020, this would greatly be reduced to 12 sacks in his final passing yard breaking season in 2020. We all know the 2020 season where he broke all the Florida passing records and all that. Now we're going to get into average quarterback hurries given up the past four years in the SEC in Florida. 60 they've given up in the last four years on average against everybody else. And that place is actually kind of... On that upper echelon, I mean, Tennessee was given up 65, Vanderbilt 77, Alabama 59.5, so they're right trending there with Alabama. You know, Auburn was 62, LSU was 73, Ole Miss was 69, Mississippi State 79, Texas A&M with 85.25 quarterback hurries given up. So, actually, Georgia's the best one on this list at 34 quarterback hurries given up over the last four years on average. So, you know, Florida, in that Upper echelon there of, of of the SEC, you know, not giving up a lot of quarterback hurries there. I think the only team that was below Florida was Kentucky, Missouri, and Alabama. That's it. Kentucky, Missouri, Alabama, and Georgia. So they were about fifth in the SEC here in average quarterback hurries given up the past four years. Really good, but you got to factor in dual threat quarterbacks. We we're mainly a run team last year. We rushed over 200 yards on average with a, a dual-threat quarterback in, in Emory Jones. And then you got to go back to 2018, Felipe Franks. Florida giving up 11 sacks that year. Dual-threat quarterback there can avoid the tackles and, you know, knock people over. It really helps out the offensive line when you've got a dual-threat quarterback that can avoid the pressure and run away. You know, 2019 and 2020, Florida give up the most sacks between 2018 and 2021 with Kyle Trask. Kyle Trask inserted into the offense in 2019. Felipe Franks goes down. Florida gives up 19 sacks that year. But at the same time, you got to put it on the offensive line. We weren't able to really rush the ball either that year. 2020, obviously, Kyle Trask is used to this offense, has the weapons of Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Toney. And actually, in drop pack pass situations, Kyle Trask was giving, it was actually releasing the ball within 2.5 seconds. So that's really good. If you can release the football, you know, you can go through your reads, you know where it's going. And you can believe in your receiver. And if you're very accurate, you can get rid of the football really fast. So that's what helped the sack record in 2020 at 12. So Florida's worst year would be in 2019 with 19 sacks. Now let's look at sack percentage. Florida would give up a sack percentage of 3.54% last year in 2021, which means the quarterback was sacked 3.54% of the time each play. Good for seventh in the nation. So ranked in the top 10 there. Pretty good. But but Florida also, obviously, like I said, was a primary running team that year. They would then rank 18th in sack percentage in 2020 with a 4.06% sack percentage. In 2019, they would have the 41st ranked sack percentage with a 5.18% sack percentage. And in 2018, 
they would have a sack percentage of 5.16% good for 30th in the nation. So the average sack percentage for these past four years would be right at about 4.485%. So Florida's sack percentage actually got better as the years went on as they would give up 1.6 sacks per game over the last four years, which is honestly really good compared to the competition in the SEC. Now, we'll have that graph posted there on gettingswap.com of the you know average sacks given up per game over the last four years of each SEC team. All right, you know I'm going to do it. Now let's look at Billy Napier's numbers at his time as the head coach at Louisiana Lafayette. You know, four years to four years, Sunbelt talent against Sunbelt talent. Now we can do SEC to SEC talent now that Billy Napier's over here in the SEC. So we'll see what happens when Billy Napier can get his SEC talent in the SEC and if he can replicate maybe some of the numbers he did over at Louisiana Lafayette. But let's look. Let's look at the average sacks per game through his tenure at Louisiana Lafayette. In 2018, they would be 49th nationally, giving up 1.9 sacks per game. 2019, 11th nationally, 1.2 sacks per game. 2020, 7th nationally, 0.8 sacks per game. And in 2021, 45th nationally, 1.8 sacks per game. So this averages to about 1.4 sacks per game nationally in his tenure at Louisiana Lafayette. That, that's actually pretty good. So two years in the top 10, two years right under 50th nationally. And, and we heard Josh Pate a few days ago on the podcast, or actually a few weeks ago. He said he thinks Napier can possibly be a great developer. Did allude to the fact that he thinks Napier is an overall better evaluator of talent. And speaking of that, Napier brings in two studs on the offensive line from Lise Lafayette, one in Cameron Waits, who has an average player ranking in the transfer portal of 91. He stands six foot eight, 358 pounds. So that's a really, really big dude coming into the trenches. He, he's also very athletic for his size. He played varsity basketball at Mount Pleasant, Utah from 2019 to 2020. So Pretty athletic for a 358-pounder to be running around like that. Great cardio endurance, big. That's exactly what you want on your offensive line. Of course, he'll have to get acclimated to the sport of football, but I don't think that will be an issue for him as far as getting pushed around or anything goes being six foot eight, 358 pounds. The second guy coming in and really putting up some impressive stats and numbers in the Sun Belt when he was at Louisiana Lafayette is a man by the name of Sirens Torch. We kind of discussed this a little bit with, with Bill Sykes. He was the two-time... Joe Moore Award semifinalist in 2020 and 2021. Second team all Sunbelt in 2020 and first team all Sunbelt in 2021. So some really high accolades for Torrance coming into 2022. So through his tenure at Louisiana Lafayette from 2019 to 2021, he lined up for 2,367 snaps and allowed zero sacks and only 16 quarterback hurries. 1,146 of those snaps were in passing situation snaps. Extremely, extremely good numbers. Those are actually elite numbers for an offensive lineman not to allow a sack in 2,367 snaps. (laughs) Pretty ridiculous if you ask me. He brings those type of numbers to the backfield here at the University of Florida with two years of eligibility left since 2020. Didn't really count for anyone's eligibility due to COVID, but let's be honest, man. If If he has another good year, especially here at Florida, you best bet he's going to head to the NFL and, and forego that that last season there. All right, last but not least, sack rate percentage per SEC team. As I kind of discussed a little bit beforehand, uh, Florida actually in the SEC over the past four years places second in the SEC in total sack rate percentage, which is actually surprising. I, I would think that Florida would probably be dead in the middle, but they're actually second. You know, Alabama first at 4.43%, but Florida at 4.49%. Second of the SEC over the last four years. It says a lot, though. It, it does say a lot 
as it goes to, and, and I hate to give Hevesy credit because he was such a terrible recruiter, but he did develop pretty well. But we also had the graciousness of having a dual threat quarterback in 2018 that could elude pressure, a dual threat quarterback in 2021 to elude pressure as well. 2019 and 2020, we had the pleasure of having a really good pro-style quarterback that could get rid of the football pretty fast. So, you know, that that tends to make the sack rate numbers go down. 2019 obviously was the worst year, but, you know, that's pretty good numbers for considering how that they've recruited on the offensive line the past four years. And, and look, you get Billy Napier in here, and he's recruiting at elite levels on offensive line, even if it's in the 90s range. You might be able to be number one in sack rate percentage in the SEC, but we'll see what happens with Billy Napier and uh, staff and see how they recruit on the offensive line here. Next couple of years, you got to give them a little bit of time. It's, it's going to take time, obviously, with a new head coach to get his recruits into the University of Florida and playing in the SEC, but really, really good numbers there in sack percentage. But that's it, man. That will wrap it up for this episode of Getting Swamped. It was great to have Bill Sykes on here giving us a little rundown of his thoughts and his, you know, the future of what he thinks that Florida and the University of Florida on the offensive line will be. And let's hope. Bill, I, and I talk to Bill all the time on the phone, outside of podcasting and all of that, and he's really, really hyped about this Billy Napier hire and the staff and what they're doing here, man. It's, it's, it's going to be different. And let's just hope it's an elite different and it doesn't just fold. And I don't think it's going to fold this staff anyway. We've got some really, really great staff members here and some really hard workers. You know, Billy Dapier is a good evaluator of talent, but he's also a good evaluator of staff. He's not going to bring somebody on the staff that he doesn't think can cut the mustard, if that makes any sense for you guys. But that'll wrap it up, man. That'll wrap it up for this episode of Getting Swamped, your latest in football, statistics, special guests, and social media. Thank you for listening to this episode of Getting Swamped.